The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's a time of the week for We're All Gonna Die Radio. Yes, that show where we deal with those issues that are so terrifying um, that typically you can only listen to the show with an alcoholic beverage in hand. Uh, the person who originated this content, concept uh, is my co-host. I'm David Rothkopf. My co-host is John Wolfstall, who is, I don't know, where are you, John? You're far away. I'm in beautiful, cloudy Helsinki, Finland today, David. Nice. Very, very nice. Bleak, perfect setting for this uh, kind exactly of right. Scandinavian noir podcast. Uh, but we are going to talk about sunnier places, more, although sometimes uh, darker in other respects, and that is the Middle East. And fortunately, we are uh, able to have with us two leading experts on issues pertaining to the Middle East. Uh, one is Barbara Slavin. She's a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center and a lecturer in international affairs at George Washington University. Prior to joining Stimson, she founded and directed the Future of Iran Initiative at the Atlantic Council. Hi, how are you, Barbara? Hi, it's uh, it's an honor to be with two such distinguished hosts. Well, you're very kind to say so, um, but the real honor is being with your other guest, uh, Alon Pincus, who is uh, formerly uh, was Israel's Consul General in New York and was the Chief of Staff and Foreign Policy Advisor to one Prime Minister and four Foreign Ministers of Israel and is one of our uh, friends and regulars here who I know happens to be in extremely soggy New York City. How are you doing otherwise, Alon? Um, otherwise, I'm doing fine. I mean, you know, a week in Washington, a week in New York, and now I go back to the tranquil. <laughs> yeah, and and welcoming envi- welcoming environs of the Middle East. Yeah, and with that in mind, I should have also said he is not only a columnist, but maybe the best columnist for arts, and you should read his stuff there. And uh, I suspect his columns has made him very unwelcome in certain parts of Israel. But we can get to that. Uh, later, since uh, yeah. Alan 
tells the, the the Hebrew the Hebrew ones, the English they don't bother with. <laughs> well, um, uh, well, anyway, yeah, I've seen you, things you've written recently and things you've tweeted about. Um, uh, one of the subjects that I find most baffling, and this after sort of thirty five odd years of being involved in foreign affairs, uh, and that is the apparent zest. Uh, here in Washington, D.C., for striking a deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia, um, a deal that is called normalization, although I saw a Fareed Zakaria column today that called it a major peace breakthrough, which I found baffling. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Saudis uh, seem to be interested in it for two reasons, one being um, uh, it, you know, it's sort of the redemption of MBS in the eyes of the Americans and the other being a security guarantee, which again, I don't get it. Um, like why would we provide that? And, and how would we do that? Uh, and with the Israelis where again, Bibi Netanyahu sees it as a form of redemption, uh, but is also part of his desire to counterbalance Iran at all times. Um, and maybe also to distract from everything else that's going wrong for him. So I thought we would start, and and we will go on from there to to looking at nuclear and related issues. But I thought we would just start with the views of Alan and Barbara towards uh, this deal. Uh, and I don't want to force your hands here, but as I said, I think it's really weird, and I think the the compulsion to get it done is even weirder, Barbara. Ah, I have to go first. All right. Um, you know, I look at it uh, primarily as an effort by MBS to Israel wash himself, uh, because most Arabs, in fact, most uh, Muslims think that the way you get the United States and Americans to like you is by making nice with Israel. Uh, this has been the case forever. So I think that's his main motivation. He wants us to forget about Jamal Khashoggi. He wants us to forget about Yemen. He wants us to forget about the uh, horrible ways in which he uh, treats his own people, at least anyone who dares to have a critical thought. Um, the security guarantees are sort of secondary. I mean, he's He's already got a detente deal with the Iranians. So who does he need security from, assuming that that agreement holds? Uh, he wants a nuclear reactor. Uh, he wants nuclear enrichment. He's the last person on earth I would give that to. I think that would be a terrible step in terms of proliferation in the region. Um, it's not a peace agreement because there is no war between uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia and hasn't been at least since I don't know, the, the, the oil embargo, I guess you could call, was an act of war back in 1973, but there has been no war between these countries. There is all kinds of uh, interaction between them already, economic and, and other uh, airspace and so on. So it is, it's unnecessary and he should not be rewarded for it. If he wants to do it, fine. And I, I, I would say the one salutary effect would be that it would once again show the Iranians that their policy toward Israel is stupid, self-destructive, and, and you know, 
going against the, the trend of history. Israel is a reality with all its many flaws, and it's time everybody recognized that. I'm not against that. And so if it has some sort of impact on Iranian thinking, maybe that'd be the only good, good outcome. I, I would note that Barbara, in her good summary, Alon, didn't mention the Palestinians. Um, and frankly, I don't think the Saudis will do much for the Palestinians in this deal either. And one of the arguments that had been made among some Americans was, well, negotiating this deal is a good thing if it gets Bibi to make some promises about the Palestinians, but that seems to be receding into the distance. Yeah. Okay. So let me begin uh, by saying that I would subscribe blindly to uh, everything that Barbara said. I agree with everything she said. And I'll get to the Palestinians. Uh, um, the one thing that puzzles me, or as you aptly called it, David, uh, is weird, is is this enthusiasm, this compulsion, as you called it, uh, uh, to get the deal. Because the way I look at it, there, there's, there are only downsides for America. Now, I can write an entire column and I can state right here in this uh, podcast on, on why America has an interest in doing that. A, going back to what Barbara said, it may change the Iranian uh, mindset in the sense that, well, there's a rapprochement with Saudi. Saudi is normalized, has normalized relations with Israel. The U.S. is providing Saudi, assuming there's, there's a deal, which I doubt, but assuming. Um, Saudi normalized relations with Israel. Uh, the U.S. signs some kind of a limited defense pact with the Saudis. The Saudis also enrich uranium, well, build, get a reactor and enrich uranium on their own territory. So this supposedly stabilizes the region in the eyes of some people in the administration. And they would think, all right, not only does, does, it, does this not re-engage us in the Middle East, it in fact allows us and facilitates our uh, um, reprioritization and focus and pivot to the uh, uh, Indo-Pacific, or what we used to call the Pacific Rim. Okay, but for my week in Washington, uh, um, the, the sense that I get is that there's not that much enthusiasm, as, as is reported. There's a group of people who are very invested in this, and there are a group of people who are enthusiastic about it, and they seem to drive the narrative. Um, and they are the ones who leak everything. I mean, you take Fareed Zakaria's column, which I read at your recommendation, David, um, and you see two things there. First, he calls it transformation. Well, he doesn't call it transformational. He says it's a, it's a game changer. Okay, so you know where that's coming from, from the same people who are the number one advocates of the agreement. But what you also see is somewhat of a scaling down of the so-called American-Saudi agreement. There's no longer a NATO-like Article 5 in the Defense Pact of Collective Security that triggers American involvement in case the uh, poor Saudis who are living on American bayonets for the better part of the last 50 or 60 years, uh, if they're attacked by the Yemenis. Um, and so I'm not sure that, that Biden is convinced. Now I go back to what your, to your um, um, Admonition of uh, of Barbara for not mentioning the Palestinians. Oh, that Here's wasn't an thing. admonition. I think Barbara <laughs> I got it exactly right. I don't think either side. I'm cares. asking no. a lot of factors. Right. <laughs> I know. No, but he, here's the thing with the Palestinians. Netanyahu, he has his own domestic issues. He's 
under indictment and, and an ongoing trial for corruption, obstruction of justice, and bribery. His coalition is not solid. He is facing 39 weeks of, of a huge uh, uh, pushback from, from the uh, uh, pro-democracy, democratic, liberal uh, um, Israel. And that's something he, he can only change that by, by this grand act of statesmanship. But he's required to pay in Palestinian currency. Now, paying in Palestinian currency may interest Chris Van Hollen more than it, Senator Chris Van Hollen more than it does MBS. But here, here's the uh, um, here's my problem with it. While MBS and even Biden, although I doubt that's the case, but for the sake of conversation, even if MBS doesn't give a damn about the Palestinians, and even if Biden will look the other way when the Palestinians are made to believe that they're given some kind of silver lining by Netanyahu, who uh, um, will lie, deceive, and manipulate and say anything necessary. The people who will have to live with the Palestinians are not Biden in Delaware and not MBS in Riyadh. It's us. And, and Netanyahu has this distorted view that he's going to prove that the Palestinian issue was never at the core of the Arab-Israeli conflict and that, in fact, peace is attainable without paying in Palestinian currency. What America is doing, according to the critics of this agreement, is enabling him not only to extricate himself from the legal and constitutional and political uh, distress that he is under, but also on the Palestinian issue. Um, and and, and I, I fail to see how um, uh, President Biden gets this through the Senate without a, uh, um, a substantial Palestinian component. Not a state tomorrow morning, not, not you know, uh, 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 floral uh, um, and, and, and uh, uh, luminous promises, but something tangible. I just feel, Now, if Netanyahu does make those promises and they are made public, and my understanding is that Biden in his meeting with Netanyahu in New York last week asked for, for these ideas in writing, if that leaks out, then Netanyahu conceivably has no coalition. In which case, I welcome that development. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm beginning to sense that perhaps not nobody on this call thinks this is a great idea. I'm, I'm, I, I know it's very subtle the way you all are sort of messaging this. It's okay, okay, it's just not the bill of the century. I mean, it's. Yeah, well. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, John. I'm I'm thoroughly not happy with this. Okay, he's not yeah. happy. Barbara's being very polite and saying it's not the deal of the century. I think that overstates its value fairly dramatically, but I, I, I you know, I, I just wanted to turn to you now as our nuclear expert, because here's the thing about this deal: um, nobody trusts MBS, nobody trusts Bibi. They will lie to get this deal, because as Barbara aptly put it, MBS wants to be Israel washed. And Israel kind of wants to be Saudi-washed. And the reason that they want to do this joint bathing exercise is because, <laughs> because um, MBS wants this, some security guarantee, and he wants some help with nuclear, civilian nuclear um, uh, development. But when he was being interviewed by Brett Baer during UNGA, he said, if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, we're getting a nuclear weapon. So what he clearly wants a nuclear program for is to 
prepare himself for the near eventuality of Iran getting a nuclear weapon. Bibi, on the other hand, wants to do this um, deal to offset Iran, which he sees as an existential threat. So, you know, at the core of this, there is this nuclear triangle, nuclear Israel, near nuclear Iran, kind of sort of wannabe nuclear Saudi. Now, is the Saudis, you know, the U.S. wants to offset the influence of China in the region, which, by the way, this will not do. Um, but I, I, I wanted to sort of present it to you as a nuclear strategist and ask you, does it make any sense from that perspective primarily? So there's so much to unpack here. And, you know, as Barbara and Alon and, and you, David, know, there are long, long nuclear routes throughout the Middle East. Um, the idea that a country wants nuclear power is sometimes seen as an excuse that they want that. But really what they want is nuclear weapons. This is the argument for Iran, right, that they don't really want nuclear power. But in fact, there is an argument that nuclear power is, does make sense for a lot of countries, even oil rich countries. Saudi could make use of a bunch of nuclear reactors. They want to be a supplier of nuclear energy for themselves and for others. It's the sensitive nuclear technology that really gets us concerned because that's how you make bombs. Um, you know, you can provide nuclear reactors and fuel. But I, I don't think we can discount this China piece. Um, and, and there are other factors here too, right? It's long be been believed, unproven, that since Saudi has been bankrolling the Pakistanis for years, that if they really wanted nuclear weapons, they just call up the Pakistanis, and the next thing you know, there are a bunch of Pakistani troops deploying nuclear weapons on Saudi territory. Well, so, there was, there was John, there was, there was even a, uh, um, a sort of wild rumor for many years in Israel that the Saudis actually own one or two Pakistani bombs, and they're like Amazon. It's, it's on the shelf, <laughs> and it will, be, it will be delivered at some point. You know, it, it's there are a lot of these stories, and I don't, you know, I don't have any evidence that says that's right. But you know, the, the Pakistanis are into Saudi for a lot of money over a lot of years, and if they really need something, you can see it. Just as we have deployed U.S. troops on Saudi territory for a long time, not the nukes, but the the troops. So you know, surprising things happen. Um, and I'm pretty sure China would be more than happy to sell and build nuclear reactors in Saudi Arabia. Now, that's not the reason for the United States to say, "Yeah, let's jump at this deal," but. To me, what really is puzzling is these are not dumb people, right? You could say they make mistakes and nobody's perfect, but you know the president has a lot of experience with BB. He has a lot of experience in the Middle East. Tony Blinken is very clear-eyed about the threats of proliferation. So, to me, the only the two things that make sense here, and I was actually surprised to hear Elon and Barbara say this. I actually thought the idea of reconciliation or normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel, personalities aside. I thought peace was a good thing, right? The circumstances here matter, but that isn't that isn't nothing. Um, and I think the China angle here, it really is a motivator. There's a sense that somehow they could keep China out. Now, I think we're right to be skeptical, but it, everything else is motivated by by a desire to leave the Middle East, even not leave Europe. But you know, if it hadn't been for the invasion of Ukraine, you know, we would have had a lot more, even more attention on what China is doing. But that still is the pacing threat that people seem geared up for. Yeah. Can I jump in here? I mean, I agree with you, uh, David. You can't keep China out. China is the purchaser of oil. For the next 20 years, China is the major trading partner for all those countries. So you, you can't keep China out. It's a, it's a ridiculous idea. There is one other factor, and that is that um, 
the Saudis have hinted that they might start pricing oil in non-dollar uh, denominations. That's the real threat, frankly, uh, uh, that, you know, if they were to do that, I mean, it would cause so much dislocation and so on. Uh, but if they were to do that, that would obviously impact the role of the dollar in uh, the international financial system and it would undercut all our our sanctions regimes against all these various countries, including Iran. So just, just throwing that in there. There is one, one way in which, uh, I mean, Saudi Arabia doesn't need nuclear energy. They can put up solar panels, for Christ's sake, if they want, you know, to have green energy. So that's sort of ridiculous. But you could perhaps begin to work out a WMD-free uh, Persian Gulf idea if, if you wanted. The other thing is you could make the Israelis come clean on their nuclear weapons. I mean, if we're going to start providing nuclear technology to Saudi Arabia, let's do this on the basis of transparency. Let's have everybody acknowledge what they have and put it under IAEA supervision. I mean, it's about time. Bibi even said in his UN speech, he had a slip where he talked about a credible nuclear deterrent against Iran. Did anybody catch that? Basically yeah, acknowledging that Israel has nuclear weapons. No, he was so, referring to the U.S. Yeah, well, look, you know, it's time, it's time to stop playing coy. So I would say that if we're going to provide nuclear technology of any sort to the, the Saudis, we should make it part of an arrangement whereby uh, there is a nuclear-free, at least Persian Gulf, and all enrichment is done offshore. It's not done in those countries. So uh, it, I think I don't disagree with that, but I think it is really important to say if we're going to talk about the Persian Gulf being free of enrichment and the Persian Gulf being free of weapons of mass destruction, the people who live in Persia happen to have a lot of enrichment going they on do. and we've tried to stop them and yeah. that hasn't worked over multiple i mean we actually had a pretty decent deal to limit it for quite some time and put it under major constraints the trump administration said no 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 no. in their hearts they're cheating so we have to get out of that deal um but you know i, I think we should remember it's 10 years a little bit more than 10 years since there was a lot of pressure for obama to go to war in iran yeah. over their enrichment program and they're now farther ahead than they were at that point and so it's fine to be concerned about Saudi intent and statements, but Iranian capabilities are not disappearing. And so how do we factor that into this deal? I, I, I can imagine BB, I can see that, but I, I'm still at a, at a loss to see how this factors in for an American well, let me, strategy. But let me ask you a question, John, but, and then we'll go to, we'll go to Alain, because I, you know, I'm like, you know, obviously somebody called up Fareed Zakaria and said, you know, Fareed, come in, I want to talk to you. Because that's just the way this works, right? And so then they talked to him, and then he said, okay, I'm going to go write this thing. And he wrote this article, said it's a big landmark thing, and blah, 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 blah. It's because they're mad at David Ignatius. But, yeah, well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame him. But in any event, you know, it, but but you, as you say, these people, Joe Biden, Jake Sullivan, Tony Blinken, Bill Burns, these are very serious people. They're very smart. They know Bibi's a liar. They know MBS is a liar. They know there's no war between these two countries. They know they're already sort of semi-quasi-normalized. They know they can't really stop China. One thing that, the, and they know that, that both sides are perfectly willing to screw the Palestinians until the cows come home. 
So, so there, there is one thing that they might do, though. If you strike this deal, maybe then Israel and the Saudis will give you enough slack to go back and cut a deal with the Iranians again. Um, it, there, there, there's, there's so many ifs in that statement, but the biggest one is that what is going to convince Iran in their political, I mean, I'm saying this to Barbara, so I seem, you know, I feel silly. What's going to convince the Iranians that, yeah, let's cut a deal with the United States to limit our enrichment when they haven't done it, when we were right next door in Iraq with 100,000 troops, when they were under the toughest sanctions regime they've ever faced, when they were then diplomatically engaged and could get access to a bunch of money, they still weren't willing to go to zero, right? The, the idea that Iran is going to not have any enrichment, I think, is just not happening. We, we don't like it. We could control it and we could limit it, um, but it's not going to zero. And so, it, yes, we might get a little bit of room, but I think it's just as likely that uh, once we're on the hook, those countries are going to say, okay, now it's time to really go after the Iranians. And that conversation, I assume, is happening too, which, again, I don't know how it's being processed inside. So when I said all this, Alon, you made a bleeding animal-like noise, a little bit like a, <laughs> a sheep. Why, why, why were you reacting that way? Um, I don't. I think it, it's an un, involuntary bodily. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what's happening here. That the U.S. government is having an involuntary <laughs> bodily response. No, but, but he, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing, David. If I take everything you said in that statement, and I do. Uh, at face value, then the the logical conclusion is that there just won't be a deal in the end, because there are too many moving parts. We have two pathological liars here who are actually competing with each other uh, um, on who can who can deceive the U.S. better. And I agree with what you said that Biden is extraordinarily uh, um, experienced and seasoned. That Blinken is skeptical. That Jake Sullivan is skeptical. I do not know how the uh, uh, Bill Burns, the director of the CIA, feels about this. But there is a strata underneath these people who are pushing hard for this. But when it, it, it gets to uh, uh, the uh, Biden-Blinken, uh, um, uh, Sullivan-Burns level, um, this this won't, you know, they're, they're not going to get the green light. So I the there's another green light here. So I'm the nuclear geek. So, of course, I have to share my knowledge because, you know, yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel lonely. It. It is not enough, even if this were the case. And we haven't seen the Biden administration come out and say, oh, yes, this is the deal, right? But let's say the rumors are true, and the plan right. is to let Saudi Arabia enrich uranium in Saudi Arabia. The right. U.S. can't sign that deal I agree. on Biden's own authority. It has to then, because it's not conforming to the law, it has to then go before Congress and get an approval vote. That means 60 votes well, in the Senate to get it to the floor and majority right. votes. So and, that means the majority of Congress have to say yes, we like this deal. And and John, if it is indeed, if there is indeed uh, a defense pact, which is, which constitutes a treaty, then you need sixty-seven senators, uh, um, of which only fifty-one are Democrats. And there's a myth that Netanyahu can deliver twenty, twenty-five. That's nonsense. That is nonsense. Now this entire deal. Um, you know, it's like a geopolitical Loch Ness monster. You know, everyone claims, everyone claims to have seen it. Some people also say that, you know, we took pictures of it. 
Uh, <laughs> exactly. But no one, no one could attest that it actually exists. Well, I want to, I want to, I want to ask Barbara a question, um, and and I, and I will do Great it. Line, but, I'm going to steal in, that. In, in, in a, in a, but you got to, but you got to do the hand at the same time, yeah, Barbara. Yeah. You know, yeah. My favorite, one of my favorite headlines, um, was a couple of weeks ago that all these scientists went up to Loch Ness. And they like combed Loch Ness with every kind of technology. <laughs> and they found no evidence whatsoever of the monster. And um, the next day, a big British paper, the headline was, Still No Proof Loch Ness Monster Exists. And I was like, wait a minute. That's not, <laughs> that's not <laughs> what I would conclude from that. Anyway, I, I'm going to come to a question for Barbara. But first, I have to say to everybody who is listening, that if you're a member, you're going to get to listen to the rest of this podcast. If you're not a member, you want to become a member. So go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership, $5 a month. You can help support this and get all this great bonus content. And I'm going to ask Barbara a really good question in a minute. Um, And uh, if you're not a member right now, we're going to have to say goodbye. Uh, For members, though, stand by.